Well, apparently, some people in the Corinthian church were denying that in the last day there would be a resurrection. And in today's reading, Paul is in the middle of a rebuttal of that idea. For Paul, defending the resurrection in the last day was totally necessary because it meant a defense of Jesus' resurrection. For the future promise of God's people, of Christians, as we've said many times, but we need to keep remembering, is not going to heaven and floating on a cloud. It is resurrection to new life, to a new glorious bodily life in a new heavens and a new earth. In eternity we will live with God in the world, with heaven completely filling it. And with the presence of God completely filling it. So that everything that is good about our life now, we can anticipate as being perfected in the new heavens and the new earth. We are not waiting to escape from this, but waiting for this to be transformed and made what it is truly meant to be. And for Paul, this hope is important. Because if we deny that hope, if we say we are only going to float off in a little spiritual cloud, then we're really beginning to deny that Jesus rose from the grave. And as we've said this morning, he is risen. He is risen indeed. Right. So for context, Paul began chapter 15 of 1 Corinthians by establishing the primacy of the Christian message, the gospel. He says, I handed on to you as of first importance what I in turn had received. And this is one of the few places where Paul really says, this is what the gospel is. He says that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scriptures and that he was buried and that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures and that he appeared to Cephas, that's Peter, and then the twelve. So the resurrection of Jesus is at the heart of the Christian message. It's a non-negotiable. You know, there are lots of things that we can disagree on as, as Christians. There are things that we can say, well, that's, I like this color carpet and you like that you know, doctrine of predestination. We can, we can kind of disagree and agree to disagree. But the bodily resurrection of Jesus isn't one of them. Believing that Jesus rose from the dead is part of what makes us Christians. So let's pick up where Janice read from verse 12 onward, where Paul is challenging those who disbelieve, disbelieve in the final resurrection. And he constructs his case with a series of if-then statements. Verses 12 and 13, he says, If Christ is proclaimed as raised, which is central to the gospel, then how can some of you deny the resurrection? If there is no resurrection, future resurrection, then Christ is not raised. Paul's logic here grounds our future hope 
in Christ's past and present risen reality. And then he carries on with a a bunch of if-then statements to line out the implications. He says, if Christ is not raised, here's here's what that's going to mean. And rather than read it all out, I'm going to paraphrase each of each of these that I've pulled out for you. If Christ is not raised, he says, our faith is futile and we are still in our sins. That's verse 17. If Christ is not raised, our preaching is pointless. Attempts to tell people about Jesus are a waste of time. Verse 14. Uh, In verse 15, he says, we've misrepresented God. Verse 18, he says, if Christ is not raised, then everyone who is dead is gone and lost forever. And we are all to be pitied more than anyone else for believing it if Christ is not raised. Paul's not afraid to sort of lay the stakes out on what we believe. He's more than willing to say, and he said earlier in 1 Corinthians that this message was foolishness to the Greeks and a stumbling block to the Jews. He's more than willing to say that if we're wrong about this thing, then this is all a waste of time. That's how important, that's an indication of how important this Not just doctrine, this reality is that Jesus is alive. And then he'll go on to say, beyond what Janice read just before, that if all of our hopes are merely human hopes, if we're just hoping for something in this life, then we might as well just do what the pagans do. Let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. Well, today, as we've celebrated as Resurrection Sunday, we rejoice in the fact that Jesus is alive. And what I want to do with my time with you this morning speaking on this is to sort of flip Paul's method of argumentation into the positive. So Paul has said, if Christ is not raised, it means this, 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 and this. And I want to share with you this morning from Paul If Christ is raised, here's what that means. Here's what it means if Jesus is alive. Number one, if Jesus is alive, then our faith in him is fruitful and we are no longer in our sins. If you haven't already had this experience, at some point in your Christian life, you may feel tempted to wonder if it's all worth it. You may feel tempted to wonder if faith in Christ has just been futile, it hasn't produced what you thought it was going to produce. Maybe a nagging doubt will surface, or maybe some YouTuber will whisper that in your ear, or... Maybe at a moment when you're feeling low and that life is not going well, you will wonder whether faith was worth it. Don't beat yourself up for feeling that way. But I want to encourage you that in such moments, 
the resurrection is the place to stand. Because the resurrection is that Jesus is alive is the best news that means that our faith, just as his faith was vindicated, our faith in the end will be vindicated. Even if the faith that you have is the barest little mustard seed of faith or a kind of clinging by your fingertips to the edge of the cliff sort of faith, hold on to faith that Jesus is alive and it will never be wasted. The resurrection is the vindication of Jesus who, for all intents and purposes, looked on the cross as if he had failed, as if God had rejected him, as if he was, had wasted his time and had misplaced his faith. But for us, if our faith is in him, we now live with our, our sins have been put to death with him on the cross. And so now in our baptism, we are raised up to new life in him. If Jesus is alive, then our faith is never wasted and we are no longer in our sins. Number two, Paul said in his letter that if Christ is not raised, then our preaching is in vain. So the positive form of that is if Jesus is alive, then preaching the gospel, telling people about Jesus and his death and resurrection is always a good idea. I spent a couple of years when I was a student over at Waikato in an organization called Student Life. It's the same organization that um, Mitch works for, Mitch Atkins. He spoke to us last week. And, you know, we went out every week to share the gospel. Um, I think it was Wednesdays, 1 o'clock or something. That was our regular time that we went out and we talked with people about faith, right? Now, I don't know how many people I talked to. Can you guess how many I talked to who then gave their life to Jesus? This is probably out of like tens of, you know, maybe a hundred people sort of thing. One. One person. Woohoo. Kim's clapping because she knows where I'm going with this. Now, look. That can feel like my efforts, like our labor, like our, our work for trying to share the gospel with people is not worth it. A 1% hit rate, maybe, you know, is that worth doing? How many of us have friends or family members for whom we have prayed over a matter of years and for whom we have hoped for years and years that they might come to know Jesus and who we've, we've tried desperately to figure out how do I have that conversation without being pushy but also while still sharing the good news of Jesus. I've got many of those people in my family who I, would, who I long to see come to know Jesus and with whom I've had conversations and not seen the results in my vision. 
The thing about the gospel that we have to keep reminding ourselves is it's not just an idea that we're trying to persuade someone to agree with, and it's not just a new set of morals or a lifestyle that we want someone to take on to themselves. When we preach the gospel, when we declare that Jesus is alive, we are telling people about reality. We are telling them about what the world is truly like, and it's the best news for them. And so sharing with them about it is never a waste. Whether we see the fruit or not, whether the seeds we've sown look like they've been picked up and plucked up by the birds, or whether they've been strangled by thorns, it's never a waste. Let's not be disheartened in our prayer and in our desire to see people come to know the loving, saving work and the resurrection life of Jesus. Let's remind ourselves that Jesus is alive and it's worth telling people. At the end of this chapter, Paul sort of rounds everything out in verse 58. He says, Therefore, my beloved, be steadfast, immovable, always excelling in the work of the Lord, because you know that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. Number three, if Jesus is alive, then everyone will be raised in the last day. Paul says that just as all fell in Adam... All will be raised in Christ. This does not guarantee that everyone will be saved. But we will all be raised because Christ has joined himself to humanity eternally. And we will all be raised and we will all stand before God. C.S. Lewis wrote in The Weight of Glory, There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors or everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we are to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of that kind, and it is in fact the merriest kind, which exists between people who from the outset have taken each other seriously. Our perspective shaped by the resurrection means we should see everyone around us in light of it. Number four. If Jesus is alive, then Christian hope is not pitiful, it's not pitiable, but it is triumphant. Paul said in our reading this morning that if Jesus is not raised, then we are to be pitied. We're wasting our time. I don't know what your experience of life in the world has been, but sometimes As Christians, we do get laughed at for our belief. We do experience the mocking or the scoffing. 
that's fine. That's to be expected. And we're told repeatedly throughout the New Testament that we should love and pray for people who do treat us in that way. But it's wrong. <laughs> because Jesus is alive. And so if we have our hope in the risen Jesus and in the hope of the resurrection life that is to come, then we do not need to take their, their pity or their mocking upon us because we have a triumphant truth within us. Number five. If Jesus is alive, then we are heading towards the reconciliation and restoration of all things. The last part of our reading this morning took us here to verse 24. After the resurrection, then comes the end. When he hands over, Jesus hands over the kingdom to God the Father. After he has destroyed every ruler and every authority and power. And in verse 28, when all things are subjected to him, that's God, then the Son himself will also be subjected to the ones who put all things in subjection under him, so that God may be all in all. I've touched already on the, the physicality and the resurrection hope that we have in the future. But how big is your your, um, your hope in our final destiny as Christians. How big and glorious do you imagine that reality to be? I love in the book of Revelation, it says in the new heavens and the new earth, in the city of the new Jerusalem, there'll be no temple. And the temple, of course, is the place throughout Scripture where God lives. God dwelt in the tabernacle and then the temple and then the temple was rebuilt. That's God's place. But Revelation tells us that in the end there won't be a single place where you go to be with God. Because God will dwell with his people. And God is purely righteous purely good, he is pure truth and beauty, he's pure excellence, he is glorious beyond our comprehension, such that when people see God in scripture, the normative response is to fall on their faces and weep and worship him, we can't help it, it's just who he is, and in this promised new hope where God is all in all, we are going to have complete fulfillment of union with him. We will be so thoroughly united with him that our experience of the new heavens and the new earth will be infinite joy, infinite laughter, infinite delight and pleasure in his presence. I think often we know hints of this in this life. The moments when you just touch on, you just begin to apprehend 
the goodness and the greatness and the wonder of God. We have just little fleeting glimpses of it. And even those are enough to make us feel exhilarated and joyful and and full of wonder and surprise. I think in the new heavens and the new earth, that's going to be normality. We're never going to run out of God. So we're going to be perpetually delighted and surprised and in love with him and receiving his love. C.S. Lewis says from the same essay, The Weight of Glory. I really recommend you read it if you want to. He talks about how small our hopes can be. He says, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We humans are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making pies in a slum, mud pies in a slum, because he cannot imagine what is meant by an offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. Six, and finally, if Jesus is raised from the dead, if Jesus is alive, then death is defeated. You and me and everyone that you know is going to face the grave unless Jesus comes back first. But we're all going to die. And we don't like to acknowledge this. A lot of the time. A lot of people don't like to think about their own mortality. That's understandable. But it's also the case that confronting our own mortality causes us to recognize something about reality. It can jolt us out of comfort and complacency. And a lot of us find the concept or the contemplation of death to be quite scary. One reason we might fear death is that we don't see it very much. It used to be that people died a lot younger or they died more often in sort of public circumstances. Whereas now death is something that sort of gets tucked away. It happens maybe in hospital or in a hospice. Back in the day, you know, people, granny's getting older, she might just die in the lounge. And that would be normal. And it would be, in a sense, joyful that her family is around her. Or granddad might sort of keel over while he's in the garden. That's the way I want to go, personally doing something fruitful and productive. We don't see it, and so we fear it. But we can also fear it because perhaps we don't know or we're not sure about what lies on the other side. It is the universal human experience that we will die 
But until we do, we do not know with absolute certainty at all moments what is going to happen. But if Jesus is risen, then ultimately we have nothing to fear from death. Because Jesus' resurrection is not just a one-off event in history. Paul said just before that it was the first fruits. It's like the, uh, Paul uses the image of a seed needing to be planted so, and to die in the ground, so to speak, so that it can come to life. So when you're contemplating your, your death, and if you're in Christ... You're not just being buried, you're being planted. And what lies beyond is a great hope of new life. And Jesus is the first fruits. He's like the, the promissory note. Or he's the sort of pathfinder, the down payment, who has already gone into the grave and has already been raised up with an imperishable body that is no longer subject to death and decay. Our hope involves the truth that there will be a time when death is no more. When we have been raised to new life, we will no longer be subject to it. Paul said in verse 26 of this chapter, the last enemy to be destroyed is death. And I love the, the orthodox tradition of understanding the defeat of death, that Christ trampled over death by death. By Jesus dying, he actually emptied death of its power. And in Revelation, we, we read about the final um, completion of that defeat when death is thrown into the lake of fire and destroyed forever. We're going to close soon with a song. Team, if you guys want to come up and get ready to go, we're going to close with a song. But as they do, I'm going to read... Some of the last verses of 1 Corinthians 15, starting in verse 51. Listen, I will tell you a mystery. We will not all die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. For this perishable body must put on imperishability, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable body puts on imperishability, and this mortal body puts on immortality, then the saying that is written will be fulfilled, death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O death, is your victory? Where, O death, is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the Lord. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ.
Thank you, Father, for the awesome gift of your Son, Jesus, and for the Holy Spirit that you've poured out upon us. We thank you for your presence, and we thank you that um, this is but just a foretaste of what is to come. For the great hope you've set before us is new life, new life with you, God. Thank you, Father, in Jesus' name. Amen.